Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the second half of the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Come Die With Me. I'm reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, the greatest commandment. One of the teachers of law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Have you ever been asked if you're religious? Or even worse, have you ever been labeled religious? As a Baptist pastor, when often I tell people that I'm a minister or a pastor, they will often respond, oh, well, I'm not religious. And I always want to say, well, nor am I. I don't like religion. Jesus hates religion. You see, being a follower of Jesus isn't about obeying religious rules and regulations. It's about having a relationship with the living God. And so we read in Mark chapter 12, as as Jackie read in verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? So one day, Jesus is in the temple courts, and this teacher of the law, a rabbi, comes up to him and asks him a question. Now, a rabbi is the equivalent of a Bible scholar and a theologian today, an academic who has more PhDs than he needs, the kind of geek who reads all the footnotes. You get the picture? And this guy is the expert in the Jewish law. That's the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments and so on. And he's really impressed the way Jesus has given answers to all the other religious leaders. So he comes forward with his own question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now the rabbis had actually worked out that there were 613 commandments in the law of Moses. 365 negative ones, you shall not. And 248 positive ones, you shall. That's a lot of commandments. And to make matters worse, that the, the rabbis had actually expanded the law in order to apply those commandments to every aspect of a person's life in great detail and with great precision They had added hundreds and thousands of rules and regulations known as the oral law. Now with all these commandments, there was a a need to determine which ones were the heavier, the more important, which were the lighter, the less important. 
And so the, the rabbis would debate amongst themselves among, about the relative importance of all these commandments. But more than that, with so many commandments, there was a need for a single sentence, a single statement that would describe the essence of the whole law. What is it all about? A single sentence that would describe the essential principle behind all the commands. What was the real purpose and intention of the commands? And this is the question that this rabbi is asking Jesus when he says of all the commandments, which is the most important? He's asking for that single sentence that would describe the essence of the law, that essential principle behind every single commandment. And Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through to 5. And we can read about it in, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29. Jesus says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. These are the, the first lines of an essential Jewish creed known as the Shema, which is Hebrew for here, coming from the first line, here, O Israel. And devoted Jews in Jesus' day, and even today, would recite these words twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. In fact, they would even tie the, write the words on their doorposts and they would tie it to their hands and their forehead when they would pray. And Jesus is saying that these words, this statement, is the essence of the whole law. And the essence of the whole law is that there is one God who deserves our complete devotion and love. That we need to love God with everything with the totality of our being, with every fiber of our being, with our whole heart, with our whole soul, with our whole mind, and our whole strength. And Jesus is effectively saying, if you love God with the totality of your being, you would have fulfilled the essence of every single commandment in the Bible. You see, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, isn't about obeying rules and regulations. It's about having a relationship with God. It's the heart that matters. And the rabbis had tried to reduce this dynamic relationship with our Heavenly Father to being religious, to obeying rules and regulations, to doing certain stuff. You can't do this, you must do that. And they had missed the whole point. It's all about being in a loving relationship with God. You see, if God has created us in His image to reflect His image, then we will only find our true self and our true fulfillment when we learn to worship and love the one who we designed to reflect. But how do we practically love God with the totality of our being? doesn't mean we have this warm, fuzzy feeling constantly, that we're continually daydreaming about God. No, of course not. That's a sentimental version of love. True love, truly loving God with the totality of your being, means that you decide to put God first in every aspect of your life. 
That God becomes the most important thing and person in your life. That your priority is to please God. Your first priority is to please God. Therefore, before you do anything, you need to ask, will this please God? Or how can I do this in a way that will please God? How can I do my work in a way that will please God? How can I treat my colleagues in a way that will please God? How should I drive to ensure that I please God? Or how should I respond to other people's driving in a way that pleases God? See, it's about not living for yourself, but living for God. The way I do my surfing is not in a way to please myself, but to please God. The way I do my work is not in a way to please myself, but to please God. The way I love Victoria and Naomi is not in a way that pleases me, but in a way that pleases God. But in order to please God, we have to know God. We have to know what pleases Him. And therefore we need to spend time in prayer listening to God. We need to spend time reading the Bible, getting to know Jesus, getting to love the God, getting to know what His priorities are and what pleases Him. Then we can simply ask, well, if Jesus was in this situation, what would Jesus do? If Jesus was here now, how would He react? And then if we do what Jesus would have done, we can be sure that we're pleasing God. It's quite simple, really. What would Jesus do and then do it? It's very simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy because it will go against every single selfish fiber you have and tendency you have in your life. But we don't live for God out of guilt and out of compulsion, but because we love God. And just as a child wants to please their parent, so we want to please our Father in heaven, who loved us first and created us and ultimately died for us. It's not easy to be a great musician. You've got to put a lot of sacrifices. You've got to make a lot of sacrifices. But if you are devoted to music, if you love music, you will be devoted to it. And if you love God with all your heart, you will be devoted to God. You will be devoted to living for God. You will be devoted to pleasing God. Jesus then says in verse 31, The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19 in verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second. Jesus wasn't asked for his top two options, his top two commandments. He wasn't asked for his second choice. So why does he give the second commandment? He gives it because the two are intimately connected. They're so intimately connected that you can't have the one without the other. See, you can't claim to love God if you don't love other people. And it's only when you love God that you can truly love other people. 
The two are intimately connected. Now this command to love your neighbor as yourself, in its original context, referred only to fellow Jews. Well, at least that's how the rabbis in Jesus' day had interpreted it. It's your fellow Jew. But Jesus quotes it without qualification and without limiting its boundaries. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus is asked, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan. Now, Jews hated Samaritans more than anyone else. Samaritans were half Jewish. They had intermarried with the enemy. Therefore, they considered a Samaritan worse than the enemy. They considered them to be a traitor. And Jesus says, your neighbor is a Samaritan. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually says that we need to love our enemies. Think of the person that you hate the most. Think of that person that rubs you up the wrong way and irritates you. Think of that person who stands for all those attitudes and prejudices that you hate in the world. Jesus says, he's your neighbor. Love him. Wow. How do you do that? That doesn't come naturally. When that person walks into the room, you don't suddenly have this warm, fuzzy feeling. No, you get really hot under the collar. How do we love someone like that? Well, only by receiving the love of God and loving God can we love such a person. You see, when we truly love God, we come to realize that God loves everyone. That God values everyone. That God created everyone. That God died for everyone. And when we truly love God, we come to realize that we're not perfect. That we continually get things wrong, yet God still accepts us, forgives us, and loves us. And if God forgives us and loves us, how can we not forgive and love other people? Now this doesn't mean that we have to agree with the other person or that we have to approve of their behavior. No, like the old saying goes, we love the sinner, not the sin. But how do we do that practically? How do we practically love the sinner but not the sin? Like this. By treating the other person the way you want to be treated. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So simply put yourself into their shoes and ask yourself the question, if I was in their shoes, how would I like to be treated? And then treat them like that. Again, it's very simple. But it's not easy. But when we love our neighbor like ourselves. It means that we choose to unselfishly seek the best interests and desires of the other person regardless of how they've treated us. That doesn't come easy. That's why we need the love of God. We need God's love and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now the phrase... Your neighbor definitely includes the poor and the oppressed. 
If you read the Bible and you get to know Jesus, you will quickly discover that Jesus has a bias for the poor and the oppressed. He hangs out with the marginalized and the oppressed. He stands up for the exploited and the excluded. He speaks out against the unjust practices of the rich and the powerful. And we too are called to have a heart for the poor. If you are not helping the poor, you do not love your neighbor. If you are not supporting the poor, then you do not know the heart of God. And you definitely don't love God. For it's impossible to love God, to truly love God, and not have a heart for the poor. I must uh, confess, uh, uh, speaking very personally, I was really challenged when preparing this sermon. You see, I feel that I have a real compassion for the poor. But do I really give sacrificially of my time and money? And do I even know the poor? No. I just give to charities and continue to live in my insular world. Is that loving neighbor? Is that what Jesus would do? When Jesus had finished giving his answer, we read in verse 32, Well said, teacher, the man replied, You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and, with, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. More important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus didn't say anything about love being more important than offerings and sacrifices. Yet that is the logical implication of what he's just said. You see, for the priests, the most important thing was to express their love for God by making sacrifices. For the rabbi, the most important thing was to express their love for God by obeying every detail of the law in, in the most strictest way possible. They were more concerned about obeying the letter of the law than they were about the spirit of the law. They were more concerned about outward compliance to the law than they were about the heart of the law, which is all about loving God and loving neighbor. And too often, we also lose the plot. It's so easy for ritual to replace love. So often we reduce a, a loving relationship with God to obeying rules, a certain cultural rules, doing religious activities or other things. And we miss the whole point. It's all about loving God and loving people. All people. So let's make sure we don't lose the plot. Let's make sure we always keep the main thing the main thing. We then read in verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Not far. That's an interesting phrase. Not far. It's simultaneously an approval and an appeal. You're on the right track, but you haven't arrived yet. 
You've come so far. Why don't you come further and follow me? Why don't you stop living for yourself? Why don't you die to yourself? Why don't you start living for God and for other people? Why don't you come die with me? I want to be a person who is who loves God wholeheartedly and who loves all people, especially the poor and the needy. I would love it when, when people come up to my friends and they ask them, well, well, tell me about Mike. What is Mike like? Describe him to me. I would love it if they would say, well, the most obvious thing about him is he loves God wholeheartedly. That's the most obvious, most striking thing about him. And he loves all people, especially the poor. I wish they would say that. I know I'm not that person yet. I know I've got a long way to go. But I hope Jesus is saying, you're not far. You're not far. Keep growing in your love of God. Keep growing in your love of other people. How about you? Who do you want to be like? What are you living for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we can't thank you enough for how much you love us. That you love us so much that you died for us. Because you want a relationship with us. And because you have a plan and a purpose for our life. And Father, we confess that so often we have reduced this wonderful relationship with you. To religion. To doing things. Doing activities. Keeping ourselves busy. Thinking we're so good. And yet we, we lose the heart of the matter. Father, pray that we would always have at the forefront of our minds that we need to be loving you with every fiber of our being. And we need to be loving our neighbor as ourselves. Father, let that be our sole motivation in life. Let everything we do be governed by that. Let us always ask, well, is this loving of God and is this loving of my neighbor? Father, won't you forgive us in the times when we have treated people badly? Often we haven't done anything active. We've just been passive. Father, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for just turning a blind eye to all the needs and the problems around us. Forgive us for just appeasing ourselves by throwing some money at a charity and thinking that relieves us of responsibility. Father, won't you forgive us? Won't you stir within us your love and your passion? That we would see the world as you see it. That we see people the way you see them. That love of you and love of people would define us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.